Hello, Balloon Artist Podcast Nation. This is Ivi Kiwi, and this is season seven, episode four. I'm so excited that we are trying a new format where the intro where I present the episode is here before the music, and it's shorter. So let's try it. Let's see how you feel about it. And here is episode four of season seven, the first years, this time with Dustin McMillan. Let's go right into it. Take your balloons to the next level as we delve deeper into what truly makes a professional balloon artist with your host, Zivi Kivi. Now, welcome to the Balloon Artist Podcast. Hello and welcome to Balloon Artist Podcast. And this week, together with me is Dustin McMillan. Is that the right way to say Dustin McMillan? Yes, Dustin McMillan. Macmillan, thank you. Dustin Macmillan from Canada. And Dustin is a young prodigy. He is very talented in many of the performance arts, juggling, magic, balloons. And he is so inspiring. And it's so fun to talk with you, Dustin. Hi, Dustin. How are you? I'm doing really well. How are you, Zev? Good. So a few questions I have just to kind of help people get to know you a bit. So Paint us the picture. Where do you live and what have you been up to in the last few years? So I live in Red Deer, Alberta, Canada. Uh, it's sort of a small city in between two large cities. There's not a huge balloon community or entertainers community. Uh, in fact, I only know two other balloon twisters, one of which I trained. <laughs> there's a lot of options because there's... A high demand, but there's not really a big community in which I can talk to people and switch ideas and stuff like that. So online has really been of huge, huge help. I got into balloons about two years ago. What did you do before that on the arena? Before this, I've been a magician for about nine years. Uh, that's what I started with. And then I got into balloons. I do some juggling. I do some puppetry. I'm a contortionist. I do some face painting. I do other performance arts as well. And so I call myself a general circus practitioner because it's a lot easier than listing each of the skills that I do. <laughs> you definitely do a lot. So what brought you to balloons? Man, you already had a vast of options of how to serve people and kids and uh, entertain. What made you turn into balloons? I remember I was in high school and I had some old books that I was wanting to get rid of. And so as opposed to try to sell them online or anything, I went to a used bookstore. And I thought that the bookstore would give me money for my books, but they didn't. They just gave me a credit to buy more books in the store. And I thought, well, if I'm trying to get rid of books, I'm not going to be reading. So whatever, I'll take a look around, see if I can find anything. And I found this book called How to Twist Balloon Animals. And it was just simple one balloon animals. And I thought, you know what, I've been doing magic for I think I've been doing it for about seven, eight years at that point. And I thought, why not try it? It might be fun. I went to a store, I got some 260s, a balloon pump, and I tried it and I absolutely fell in love. It's funny how magic has this virality effect. Like a lot of magicians 
really do fall in love with magic and just want to buy one more magic trick and one more magic trick. But then balloons do the same. I really can't explain the strength of them. And obviously you feel the same. So how old are you? I'm 22. 22. Man, guys, you need to understand, we're talking about someone that is very dedicated to doing things professionally and learning and not, you don't stop at the third ball in juggling. You continue to the fourth one. You go to the journey, right? That's the way I perceive you. And I've been following you around. We've been in a connection for more than a year now. I think since June last year or so, you are a person that really cares about his education and about his skills. So tell me the balloon story. What happened with balloons? What were the steps that you saw since you started? When did you start? It was 2016. Because the first thing that really hooked me was finding your podcast. (laughs) So tell me all about that. So first I'd gotten into balloons through the book and then. I would buy the little packs at the store of like 20 balloons here, 20 balloons there. And I had a little pump from Walmart, which was not very good. And then I learned about wholesale distributors, this and that. And so then I started building my balloon stock. And then I went to the school, to university in America for a semester. And while I was there, I discovered the Balloon Artist Podcast because I had already found the Magician Business Podcast and the Kids Entertainer Podcast, which I was listening to. And it said there were similar results. One called the Balloon Arts Podcast. I think I was, I've been listening since the third episode. And the thing was that because I'm Canadian, I wasn't able to, there was very specific rules on where and how I could work while in America. And so I absolutely fell in love with balloons and learning all about how to be an effective twister. And I wanted to get into decor and this and that, but I couldn't do anything because I wasn't allowed to work as a twister there. So I just spent about five or six months just listening, 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 <coughs> gaining all this knowledge, looking at online resources. Then when I moved back to Canada, everything just sort of took off because I could finally invest and do what I needed to start a balloon business. Pretty much, Dustin, what you're telling me is that on your first five months, you've been a theoretical balloon artist. Yes. Like, just in theory, you didn't really, you weren't able to actually execute and go there into the field and practice in the field. What you did was have a lot of passion to this art form and to these skills, and you practiced at home, basically. Yeah, just a lot of solo jamming. A lot of YouTube tutorials, a lot of looking online for stuff, and that gets kind of boring after a while. (laughs) It's good to practice, but jamming with other people is so much more fun. And so, yeah, I was just all in theory, all in my head for five months until I could finally actually pursue it. Talk about a long foreplay with this art form you fell in love with. So, what happened when you opened? when you were finally back and were able to open a business around that? First, I was really scared because I had always done the circus arts as a hobby, but the first step towards making a business was really scary. My first big balloon order, I remember I ordered 3,500 balloons 
it was over $400. And I thought either I'm going to need to make money or this is going to be the most expensive hobby I've ever had. And that was sort of my motivation to get me through that initial thing is because as soon as I clicked send on my balloon order, I knew that I had to make it count. And from then on, I've placed orders for even more balloons than that. And I realized that as I go into decor and twisting and this and that, that it is an investment, but it's up to me to make it work. And if I do, then it works really well. And how is it for you these days? Good. Like I said, I started as a magician, but the main reason I switched to balloons is because that's where the money is. <laughs> that's where I feel I get more gigs. Like something I've heard a lot of people say is if you do a magic show, only the people who are at the magic show know that you were there. If I'm doing a balloon twisting gig, then people are walking around and they know that there's a balloon twister and then people can come find me. And so it was smart from an advertising perspective. It was smart from a, oh, I can give this souvenir to someone or I can bring something a little more unique to an event as opposed to, oh, we've had a bad magician before. Oh, we've had a bad balloon artist before. Oh, we've had this or that. It's a lot easier to show a portfolio of the type of balloon art you can do as opposed to the type of magic that you can do. So I find that it's easier from a marketing perspective and it's more fun creatively because you can do anything with balloons. Whereas unless you start making your own magic tricks, you're kind of limited to what your magic shop sells. That's wonderful. I find your explanation very accurate. Obviously, some of those hurdles you can overcome, right? You can try to find ways to make your magic show give something away that people actually show and stuff like that. And you can work hard on the marketing and find a way to make it as colorful as the balloons. But the balloons by themselves, they are very marketable. So I like the way you explain that. Do you do balloon decor as well? Yes, I recently got into decor. So first I was a twister, started with the one balloon animals. Now I prefer a minimum of a three to four balloon animal when I do my gigs. There are some people who do one balloon animals. They're very good at it. That's their brand. It's not mine. And so then I found that if I do multi-balloon sculptures, that then I can put those into centerpieces. I can make bigger twisted decor. And then I got into arches to centerpieces, to table toppers, to columns. And that's where I found it was really, really fun. And where I could get more business doing that. And if you can get really nice photos, then they sort of sell themselves. How do you take the good photos? The first few gigs were a little hard. There was a provincial dog grooming competition that was happening in the city. And so the owner contacted me and was looking for some balloon decor. So I did some columns, some arches and a giant twisted poodle with over 100 balloons in it. So that was the first gig I got. One of my friends was president of one of the clubs at my college, and they were having a huge dance, and they wanted balloon decor. She said, do you think you could help me? I said, okay. And so then I did some, they're actually my favorite decor pieces I've done so far. I got some really nice photos because where the dance was being held, they had this really nice black velvet curtain and 
there were uh, professional stage lights on it and it was lit really well. And just the contrast was fantastic. And so those are the two photos I've been using. And so now every time I do a big decor piece, if possible, I like to go to that room in my college and actually put it up against the black velvet curtains, turn the lights on and get that really nice photo. Nice. Just to put things into perspective, you are basically still in college. Yes. School starts next Wednesday. And that is which year is it for you? I just got my diploma. So I just finished two years. I'm taking a couple extra classes and then I'm going to transfer back to the school in America. Tell us what you're learning, basically. I'm in kinesiology. That is exercise and sports science. I want to be a nutritionist, a dietitian, that type of thing, help people eat healthy. And I'm actually working on a nutritional school show that uses magic and balloons to teach children about a healthy, active lifestyle. What is your opinion about the green smoothie? Oh, the green smoothie. I absolutely love green smoothies. Absolutely love them. My family does green juices, green smoothies. I have a book with probably over 100 different recipes for them. We've done juice fast. We've done all that stuff. Like, I'm not crazy for getting into... Every day drinking a green smoothie. It's uh, good for you. Depending on your needs <clears throat> and how much time you have and that type of thing. There are days where, for example, if I wake up late and I don't have time for breakfast, I know this one smoothie specifically and I just grab the ingredients, dump them in. It takes maybe five minutes. I dump it in a glass and I go to school. Whereas other times if I actually have time to eat breakfast and I'll sit down. And so it's more of a convenience thing or if I know I'm not going to have time to eat a full lunch or if I'm not going to be eating until let's say two in the afternoon I'll just make a smoothie I'll keep it in a jar and then that way throughout the day I can slowly sip on it cool so you're still studying you're using the balloon business of yours to support you throughout uh, you know while you're a college student tell us a little bit more about these days Because you live in a place where there are not a lot of balloon artists, what do you do to learn these days? I do a lot of online learning. Growing up, I was homeschooled, not the entire time, but for a few years. And so that taught me how to learn by myself because no one was going to sit down. There was no teacher to say, okay, we're going to be doing this now. You have to be in school for so many hours. A lot of the time it was, here's the class and you have until June to finish it. Go. And so I had to be self-motivated. So there were times where I would take a break for a month and then I would do nothing but that one class for three weeks. And then as long as I would work on it, I would finish the class in... Like one time I finished the class in three months. Another time it took me, I think, eight months. And so being able to learn by myself, be self-motivated and manage my time has been really helpful. So I've had a lot of online courses. I have the How to Build School Assembly shows from Obadiah Thomas and Razzle Bamboom. I have the Clowning and Comedy course. I was a part of the Kids Entertainer Academy, and I've been looking into the Balloon Artist College. I bought some balloon DVDs. I have... The Face of Things to Come by Phileas Flash. 
Making Faces by Nifty Balloons, David and Shauna Brennan, uh, some Buster Balloon DVDs, and then whatever is on Balloon HQ, the PDFs that are linked, teaching different designs and all that. Cool. I wonder what is your preferred way of learning when you're learning by yourself? Like if you can compare DVDs to online studying, to an online course, basically. So my preferred way isn't a specific style in which it's presented, but the way the content is presented. For example, if they show a basic design that you can then use and expand off of, as opposed to a step one, step two, step three, and now you have centerpiece. But if they say, here is the base design, and if you change this, if you change that, you can get five or six different designs from it, and then you can play around. That's my preferred way. So basically giving you tools rather than recipes. Exactly. I understand you also have some experience in doing balloons and performing as well to people that are speaking sign languages. Yes, yes, I do. So tell us how that happened. It's kind of a long story, so I'll try to keep it short. But when I fell in love with sign language, I was living in Africa. And so I was a missionary there with my church. And I remember knocking on this person's door, and it was this man with a woman standing next to him. And when we tried talking, the woman stopped us. The man held out his hands, and she was making different shapes, and he was feeling her hands. I learned that the man was deaf and blind. And so she was what's called fingerspelling, doing the different shapes of the alphabet. And he would feel her hand and connect the dots and figure out the sentence. So I knew my ABCs, but that was it. So I said, do you mind if I try? So then I went, I made the shapes. And then we had a full conversation. And different race, religion, culture, country, language, beyond all barriers, we were able to communicate. And I absolutely fell in love with sign language. And I knew when I returned to Canada that I wanted to learn. When I came back, I started learning. I started taking classes at the school in America. And then when I came back to Red Deer and started going to college here, I started teaching or helped teach the classes sign language because the teacher is deaf and she doesn't speak. And so she would sign and I would be her voice. If any of the students had a question, then I would listen to the question. I would sign it to her and then she would sign back and I would be her voice. After doing that for a few semesters, there was a summer camp there you could learn sign language at. She said, we want to have a pizza and magic night. Would you be okay doing a magic show? And I thought, okay, so... I went and that introduced me to the deaf community and a whole world of opportunities opened there because they are such a welcoming, loving community, but people don't know how to access it or how to communicate with them. And so I've done work with balloons. I've done work with magic, with different types of entertainment. And they are so wanting of entertainment like this but it's so untapped because a lot of performers either don't have the time to learn or they don't have the interest 
Or I've even heard some people say that they just don't perform for them. This one magician said, I don't perform for deaf people. They're too good at watching your hands, so I don't perform for them. And it made me kind of sad because I thought, well, that's a little close-minded, but I mean, if he's not willing to, I will, and so I'll get the gigs, so I can't be too mad. But yeah, it's just started from taking some classes at the community college, and from there, different opportunities have opened up for me to perform for the deaf community. So how often would you be performing or doing balloons for while using sign language? The thing is that because I'm in a small city between two big cities, the big deaf communities are in each of the big cities, so they're each an hour and a half away. It's not the most convenient thing. So right now, every summer when they have the summer camp, I do a performance. And right now it is once a year. but If I advertise more, it's just that with being in school and it being so far away, I don't really have time to drive an hour and a half to perform and then an hour and a half back. And yeah. then they don't really have the funds to pay that in their budget. Right now, I do some stuff at the college when we have events for the ASL classes. I've done balloons for the ASL class and magic for the ASL class. But for the full community, I do one performance a year at the summer camp. And ASL meaning? ASL is American Sign Language. There are okay. different signed languages. So the one that is used in Canada and the United States is American Sign Language. There is British Sign Language in England. There is Auslan in Australia. There's New Zealand Sign Language, Japanese Sign Language. Almost every spoken language has its own signed language. Got it. Cool. I understand that. Look, guys, uh, listening to this podcast, you need to understand Dustin is the kind of man that would learn sign language and do his show and perform with balloons to people that can only communicate through sign language. That is the amount of open-minded and open hearts that you have. It's obviously... not a, a money decision, really. It's not because you live far away from the big cities and stuff like that. It's a decision to follow your heart. And I think that is very inspiring. The fact that you keep learning, you just don't stop. You don't stop learning new stuff, but you also put your mind into it and your heart and you practice sometimes even for five months and you just keep growing with what you do. It's just wonderful. We live in such a, a brave world right now where you have opportunities to do that through Facebook, through online schools like the Kids Entertainer Academy that you were involved in or uh, One Day Balloon Artist College. Like I really, when you shared with me your story, I really felt like, oh, if only we launched Balloon Artist College one year earlier for the jams, you know, for giving you opportunity to jam with us online uh, during those five months. But uh, we'll get there, I'm sure. That's such a wonderful story. Here's what I want you to get out of this interview, because we are now in the same journey together, in a way. You started the journey in starting to listening to the Balloon Artist Podcast and got to meet the Balloon family through that. And now you're a part of the Balloon Artist Podcast. So I want to ask for your permission to send us 
send us some pictures of that 100 balloon dog that you've made and maybe a balloon arch or something of that you're just doing right now that you did in the beginning days. It can be even a picture from these days because obviously two years has passed since you got into balloons since 2016. So give us a couple of pictures that are up to date. And I challenge you guys listening to this Whenever you are listening to this, drop into the balloonartistpodcast.com and like in six months from now or in a year from now, we will touch base again, Dustin. I know we will. This will happen even without me sending myself a boomerang email uh, that is delayed for a year later or a Mixmax delayed email or whatnot. It will happen by itself because this is our journey that we are now a part of of the same journey. And I would love to compare, just to show how did your balloons look like two years ago, give you the opportunity for a little bit of nostalgia, because I'm not sure how to portray this. Like, you are sprinting through the journey so fast and doing such a remarkable job doing it. And you say about yourself that you were scared at the beginning. Oh, man. You were very brave. I remember the like five to six years it took me to touch a round balloon and to dare, like back then, people will actually think that a balloon artist has to choose his alignment with either round balloons or twisting balloons. And that was a thing. And it was destructive. Honestly, it was like people didn't get along. There was no Facebook to just expose everyone to everything. And you would have to go to a convention in order to learn. And you will have to be educated by very specific people and very narrow approaches. While these days, through Facebook and through online education and through you know DVDs as well, you have the ability to grow very fast in your journey. And with just a bit of dedication and some care for for the end results and the bravery to try new things and to identify your strengths, you just can change people's lives. Because just like you entered this through a book in the beginning and later through a podcast, think of how those people that only talk with sign languages and you are there in their life for the first time actually hearing what balloons they want, what color they want, and making those three to four balloons and not just one balloon dogs and sculptures. That's just very inspiring. So before we wrap up, I do have one more question for you. And that is about your style in doing twisting, what is also known as the line walk. I have my own opinions on the line work, which I shared publicly. I wonder what is your way of doing it? With line work, I have, well, it changes depending on what type of event it is. One that I recently did, it was for rodeo in one of the small towns in central Alberta. Typically what I do is I have my balloon apron and it has a lookbook inside and so I hand it to the kids they can look through and then they pass it back and so that way 
it's easier for the kids to know what they want to just give them some ideas. And so typically if they ask for something, I very rarely do the full body. So what I'll do is it was something that I learned actually from the making faces DVD by Dave and Shauna Brennan is they prefer wearables. They said, and so what I'll do is I will make a detailed head. So for example, my balloon dog is a four balloon dog, but it's just the head. And then I put it on a flower base. And then typically I take a hair band, a hair elastic, and then I put it around and turn it into a bracelet. So that way I can get the level of detail that I want without having to take too much time. There's very few balloon animals I make the full body for. The only ones I can think of are a penguin because it's just two colors, really. And even that I will still put on on a flower base. It's a mix between efficiency and my brand. And my brand is detailed, not mass-produced. There's yeah. some people and they still come up and they say, oh, I want a one balloon dog. I want a one balloon sword. I don't have an issue with that. But typically all of my designs are detailed heads on a flower base. Are you experimenting with anything like a guessing game or anything of that sort? In my balloon work? No, not so much. There are some times where if the kid wants, they say, make me something, then I'll make something and I won't tell them what it is until the very end. But the guessing game is more in my balloon shows or in my own solo jamming because I learned on Balloon HQ on the PDFs because it's all written, then yeah. you have no idea what it's supposed to look like. And so there are times where I'm twisting and I have absolutely no idea if it's upside down or if it's twisted the right way. And it's only when I do the last thing that then I have to try to figure it out. Kind of like the Balloon Artist game by Cody Williams on his YouTube channel. A similar type of thing, but it's all written and they try to explain what it looks like through words. And so that's what I do when I'm up at like two in the morning by myself. But I save the guessing game for my balloon shows. Okay, so you do that in your balloon show. Got it. That makes sense for you and uh, cool. Okay, wow. So I want to say thank you again, Dustin, for sharing your story with us. It's very inspiring to see how you grow. And if there's anything we can do to help you as a community on the Balloon Artist Facebook group or in Balloon Artist College, let us know because we really do want to support people like you, especially with all that you do with the sign language. Thank you for this interview, for this opportunity to peek into your life. And we'll put the pictures that you'll send us in balloonartistpodcast.com on the website so people can see what you're all about. And do you have a website as well? So my website is www.inflatablemagicandmore.ca. So we also put a link for that on our show notes on Balloon Artist Podcast. That would also be good for search engine optimization for you. And it will allow people to go and just uh, see how young and the prodigy you are. So thanks again, Dustin. And thank you guys for listening for yet another episode in season seven of the Balloon Artist Podcast. Thank you so much, Zibi. 
Hey guys, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Blue Artist podcast. This was chapter four of season seven. I'm really uh, curious if you heard something different this week. Did you like it? Was it uh, valuable for you? Was the volume okay? Anything whatsoever that you feel that uh, we need to change or adjust, please contact me. I'm always, I'm always available at zv at balloonartistpodcast.com and you can also go to the Balloon Artist Facebook group and just make a post there and uh, I'll get back to you in no time. So thanks again for being a listener of Balloon Artist Podcast and see you next week. Hello, Balloon Artist Podcast Nation. Zivi Kivi again, and this is the tip section of episode four, chapter four of season seven. And today it's all about the concept of a multiplier. And a multiplier is a person that creates uh, more time from the same 24 hours a day that you have. And the way that a multiplier works is as follows. Instead of just asking yourself, uh, what is urgent and what is important. And usually what we do is we do way too many things that are urgent and not enough things that are important and becoming you know, a, a productive individual requires you to actually be able to shift the focus from urgent to important. But a multiplier looks at everything not as two dimensions, but actually as a three-dimensional uh, decision-making filter. And that is while adding the dimension of significance. So a multiplier person actually always asks himself, well, I don't care only if something is urgent or if something is important. I also care about whether this will actually save me time in the future. Will this actually make my life easier in the future? Will this actually make me be able to even cancel some of my tasks in the future? So this actually creates a situation where something might not be urgent. It might not even be very important, but it will be very significant in helping you do more important uh, and urgent things in the future. An example for this is from like for me from my last week is that I hired an audio editor that helped me to edit uh, the Balloon Artist podcast show because I'm doing three podcasts in parallel the Balloon Artist podcast the Kids Entertainer podcast and the Generous Marriage podcast and I'm running two schools the Balloon Artist College and the Kids Entertainer Academy and all of this together you know everything under the kivimedia.co brand requires a lot of my time and I got to the point where I need to ask myself, where do I put my focus? And, you know, when I create 10 programs in a year, uh, like 10 courses that are produced and so on, that just requires my focus on additional things. So I challenge you to ask yourself, what can you do today that will make you capable of saving time tomorrow? What can you do that is significant? Thank you for listening. I will see you next week on Balloon Artist Podcast.